You're listening to Dear Sigmund, and this is uh, Shannon and my podcast. We are mental health providers. I'm a board-certified psychiatrist, and you are a board-certified and licensed therapist. Clinical social worker, to be oh, exact. LCSW, yes. perhaps? Yes, nice. that is. <laughs> and, uh, and yes, and we are here to answer your questions. So please write in questions. Visit our website at dearsigmund.com. No, don't and write us. Talk oh, yeah. to us. Leave us a voicemail message. I really want to hear voices. Yes. it was. We had an episode two episodes ago where somebody yeah. did their voice, and it was really great. It was yeah. very helpful. So it's super easy. Uh, you just go to the website. DearSigmund.com. And you push literally the record button, and it will just record your voice as you talk. Yep. Yeah. We don't great. know who you are. We have no way of contacting you. Um, we just want to hear your voice. Bring it on. Shall we hear the first question? Dear Sigmund. Do therapists love their clients? Woo! Hot right out of the gate. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm so as a psychiatrist, I don't do much therapy anymore. I do a lot more medication management. Um, so 15 minute appointments? Is yes. that the window? Yeah, yeah, it actually is like a lot of companies are pushing down to 10 minute appointments. 10 yeah, minutes? I had to fight in my contract for 15. And, and luckily I work for a wonderful company that is you know, able to advocate for that and give that, yeah, what we ask for. But, um, but I, I now do inpatient work. I don't do outpatient stuff anymore. But do we love our clients? Um, man, my, <laughs> I think we're going to have opposite takes on this too. I think that I care immensely. Uh, I am a tremendously empathetic person. Um, do I, would I use the word love? Do I love you? I feel in my practice that would probably be crossing a boundary for me to at least to identify it as a love. Is it a care? Is it an empathy? Is it a desire to help you in any and every way that I can possibly within the scope of my practice? Absolutely. Yeah. How about you? And you are a therapist. Yes. Yes, you are a therapist. I know. No, yes. And yes, we love our clients. <laughs> yes, I love my clients. Yeah. Um, oh, I can feel the vitriol coming at me now for even saying that. Um, you mean from like other peers, like providers? No, I just mean from the misperception of what that could lead people to think. Um, everything that you feel, the empathy and the gen genuine caring and everything else. But I'm seeing people, I've had clients for the whole extent of my career. I've had people that I saw five, six years ago reach back out to me just to say, hey, I'm not with him anymore. You know, here's my update. And it genuinely brings me so much joy to know that that person is okay. That's powerful. That longitudinal relationship, that length of oh, relationship, yeah. that, that probably and does I see, make a difference. You know, I see people sometimes, you know, when it's really intense and at its crisis point, twice a week. And these people are letting you into the most intimate, deepest parts of their life that maybe no one else has access to. Hmm. I mean, you just can't help but just love the spirit and soul that is humanity, that is that person, right? Yeah. This is very different than like erotic love. Right, right, right. Right. That does exist. And that actually is pretty common. Yes. It's very common, in fact. But I would say, yeah, I do love my And incredibly clients. unethical. Just just before anyone thinks that like commonality is, you know, you're you're relating that with a blessing of some sort. No. 
right. yeah, erotic love between therapists or any, you know, and Acting on the erotic love yes. is very unethical. Yeah. I would say if a therapist has erotic love towards a client, then they need to be in their own therapy, yeah. discussing it and working it out in their own sessions. And if they cannot sort through it, then they need to refer that client on to somebody else because then they no longer become the best provider for that client. Right. That would affect the treatment. Right. And it is very common, though, for clients to feel erotic love towards their therapist. Yeah. Right. Because as the therapists, we're sitting there and it's a one-way relationship. Mm-hmm. You have no expectations of us, and we just give um, non-judgmental emotional space. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to be a blank slate. So in my training, it was like the you say you're supposed provider, to be a blank slate, but I disagree with yeah, that too. Yeah, see, that's interesting. So I, I try to be a tabula rasa. This idea of this like just totally blank slate that the client can project on me. So often my clients will ask me about my religion. Oh, you're Christian, right? Oh, you're Christian, you're Christian, you're Christian, because it's really important them, you know, their faith. they align with you. And that they align with me and believe that I'm treating them from a Christian perspective, although I leave any of my religion or any of my outside nature at the door, really, so that I can be that, you know, that person who is solely a treatment provider, and that is my role. You know, giving unbiased, informed, well, information so that they can make an informed medical decision. That's my role. Providing information and advice to you so you can make an informed medical decision on your own, as long as you have autonomy. And my role is to provide that space where the person can come to their own conclusions and make their own decisions and be empowered to take action on them. Yeah. And that is rooted in human connection. Mm -hmm. It's a really good question. <clears throat> you know, and it could and, be interpreted a million different ways. Not a million, in a, many different ways. How you define love? What is love? What's a relationship? Yeah. yeah. Do I love all my clients? No. Some of them are straight up pains in the asses. <laughs> like absolutely, you know. But that is what you know. The great therapist Irvin Yalom would say is like that's grist for the mill. Like if I'm struggling with you, right? Anytime you're in therapy, it's two people in a relationship. So if I find myself just irritated with you in session. That's information. How are you interacting with the world? How are other people perceiving you? Like all of it is grist for the mill of talking about human interaction, right? So it's kind of my job to be very aware of how I feel when I'm interacting with you, right? You you can't get past that. It is two people in a relationship when you are in therapy. And that's why it's I always say it is super important that you find the right therapist for you. Yeah. Right. We've all been to therapists that were just like, ah, no. And it is called a relationship. So even in, you know, all the legal terms, a patient doctor relationship, right? We call it the therapeutic relationship. Yeah. You know, it, it is important that you mesh well with that therapist. Now, does that mean that, that therapist isn't going to challenge you or sometimes say things that you don't like? No, but it's it's meaning that you are going to respect this person and this person give you the space that you need to go through the process that you need to go through yep nice so good question thank you for writing that one yeah we have more we do bring it on i feel this next question is sort of targeted at me here um dear sigmund i'm on several online dating apps it's going fine i guess i can start conversations with guys over text and all that kind of stuff i've met several of them in person so 
Some there's a connection, some there's not. My question is this, why do guys ghost? I've been blindsided so many times by this, and what can I do to keep myself from obsessing over why I was ghosted? I low-key blame myself for not being enough for them. Oh. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> guys ghost because we're irresponsible and uh, we're very noncommittal. <laughs> we suck. <laughs> That's probably the most often Girls ghost reason. for the same reason. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, sometimes... I don't know. I think there's probably different reasons all the time. Um, it's probably not this individual's fault, though, by any means. Yeah, this young lady asking, you know, blaming herself is probably not the right. If you've only gone back and forth on text with them a couple times, they don't know you. Yeah. They're not knowing you. So how could they possibly be rejecting you? They don't know you. Yeah. It does say she met them several times in person. Okay. Sorry. <clears throat> Thanks, Maybe it's Jessie. her. It's her. I, I feel yeah. right. I'm just I feel responsible. I feel like they're, they're like, Jesse's on this show. Let me write this in. I've gotten better at this, guys. I'm Somebody sorry. has ghosted me. Yeah, yeah. It's like all the exes got together on oh, shoot, guys. <laughs> wrote this question about you. That's actually that's a psychotic thing called ideas of reference, where we start <laughs> believing that the outside world is directly referencing you. You know, billboards all of a sudden oh. are directly relating to you, and the t the weatherman is saying certain things, and it's actually they're talking to you to send you a special message. That's yeah, they're called ideas of reference. It's consistent with usually schizophrenia or a psychotic. How do you get process. there from the online dating apps? Because Jesse's psychotic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about it. Or the, uh, yeah, that's this is a good question. You, you, I think you got. What the best do I do from keep this. myself from being from obsessing over why I was ghosted? I would say you remind yourself that they are not ghosting you. Yeah, they are ghosting some image, that some they, straw man idea of you. It's, it's like what they've built up as you. It's like a false they're argument. ghosting the notion of a person, but not you at the core yeah and they probably had like four or five people juggling at the same time on an online app and then you know it was 20 to 25 percent odds that you were going to be the one that he continued to talk right about. and it's all transactional yeah. at this point like that's why i think online dating is like soul sucking because it takes something that should be very relational and makes it transactional mm -hmm. you know what do i have to do to rise <clears throat> to the cream of the crop so that i don't get ghosted you know what can i you know give to get it's just this whole thing i would say if you're ghosted they didn't ghost you and who you are they ghosted i don't know they it definitely i don't even know well probably the the expectation of who you were so they met you in person they expected you were somebody one thing that they built up as a fantasy in their mind they ghosted they the fantasy yeah. of who you were right that's the way, Not that's the way these actually work. you. And because you don't rise to meet this mythical figure that they've built up in their head does not mean that you are deficient. Yeah. Based on pornography they've watched. That's what, that's what their fantasy was built on. Some, some idea of the right, other internet activity that they're Hub, doing. Right. If you don't line up with some chick on Pornhub and they ghost you because of it, really, are you going to lose sleep over it? But the truth is, you'll, you're not going to know why, yeah. right? Because that's the whole point of ghosting. Like, you don't know. They just don't respond. That's probably the most jarring part. That's probably why she's bothering herself over this. You know, badgering her own saying, Because she saying, just doesn't know. Fault. And then the self-critic fills of in course. the gap and anxiety fills in the gap, right? Because we can't yeah. stand the unknown. Yep. The brain always wants to know, how should I categorize this? Do I categorize this as my flaw or mm -hmm. am I okay? Tell me which box to put it in so I can move on to the next thing. When the in brain doesn't rejection. know how to move on yeah. to the next thing, it's going to sit and it's going to ruminate. 
I'm telling you, create that box that just says, not the Pornhub chick he had in mind. <laughs> toss yourself in it and move on to the next one. Yes. Yeah. Toss him in it. Yeah. 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 Toss him in it. He, to- he's, whatever. He's the guy who had this false, yeah, idea of, of what he was looking for. And th- trust me, there's probably some solace in that person is probably a miserable human being too to just go somebody. But also, it's Do you really want to be involved with somebody that's so emotionally immature that they would ghost without going back and saying, "Hey, it's just not. I'm just not feeling it. Um, let's call it good." Yeah, yeah. It was lovely to meet you. I mean, what is the alternative? It was lovely to meet you. I really liked our interaction together, but. X, whatever you fill that X in with, is still going to feel like a rejection. Mm-hmm. And nobody likes doing that. Nobody likes rejecting people and nobody likes being rejected. So ghosting is probably the easiest thing to do. This person is just taking it, yeah, unfortunately hard. Probably based want on to be, other things. Do you want to be involved with the person that takes the easy way out? Yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line. And hmm. I would say, no, you don't. Yeah. Um, and not I everybody would definitely ghosts. work ghosts. on that, though. Ghostesses. Ghostesses. I would I would work on that, though, because I bet you there's something driving that underneath. There's got to be something oh, a little yeah. more like rejection sensitivity. This reminds me of X or, you know, this thing that happened well, to me is. when. Yeah. And that's these are this experience is actually brewing up these other emotions of feelings of inadequacy, um, feeling, you know, shame or guilt or. You know. Am I responding to what is currently happening or am I responding to a lifetime of events? Yeah. In this moment. Is yeah. my response proportional to what actually happened? I went out with this guy twice. And he didn't he, text me back. He's not texting me back. How torn up am I about this if I just look at this in isolation? No. Versus, this is the fifth fucking guy. And, blah, 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 and you know, <clears throat> yeah. looking at it just... This sort of photograph would be helpful with the picture, too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anonymity, that's what we say. That was um, just a joke. Yeah. I would just say, if he's really? ghosting you, he's not worth your time anyhow. Yeah, yeah. You I want agree. somebody. I mean, how much? Listen, kids, I had to answer the phone when we didn't know who was on the other end. Talk about risk. Oh, right? my gosh. It was like everything was a spam risk. Everything. Every telephone Every ring. did you do? <laughs> Don't you worry about it. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> Shannon's party line. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to take that long cord and go in the closet. Yes, yes. And risk the sibling picking up the phone. On the other end. Or the parent. Like listening, listening up on the other end. Before they say, are you done yet? Yeah. Right. But how much more removed can we get? Like you're texting, you're not even looking that person in the face, you're not even hearing their tone of voice, you're not hearing anything. Like how how much more sanitized of communication can you get yeah. to say, look, it's just not working. If that person cannot tolerate the discomfort of it, of saying, hey, it's not working in that, like you, don't waste your time. Yeah. Don't yeah. Ugh, swipe whatever direction you gotta swipe and move on. Totally. What is it, left? I don't know, actually. I, I don't <gasps> use them. I don't know. I could also think, that. like, uh, yeah, his girlfriend found out that he was on a dating app, so he deleted his app. <laughs> so he got yeah, ghosted. That's yeah. probably what's happening more often than not. Ooh, good point. All right, Jesse, next one. Dear Sigmund, do doctors get kickbacks from pharmaceutical companies? If so, is there an ethical problem with this? I don't know what to think anymore. I'm pretty sure big pharmaceutical companies are evil, but then I worry that I'm not thinking for myself anymore. Oh, 
Yeah, no, we do not get kickbacks whatsoever. Just, just to know. I mean, you don't there get used swanky be... conference invites. Go feed the dog. <laughs> feed the dog alarm. Why is it always at this time? Because um, <laughs> you said it to <laughs> always be at this time. So wild. Same you time said it. I know, so right? It's funny how that works. Alarms. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so zany. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, in fact, there have been uh, government regulations that have really cracked down on this. It used to be that there weren't. <sighs> And I can't speak for all of them. There was this idea that um, drug companies would send you on a cruise to learn about their new drug. And they'd send you uh, to a conference in Disney World so you could take your family. But you as a physician would have to spend X amount of hours learning about the medication and the drug. And so it was like an educational opportunity for these drug companies to in do the something. tropics yeah nice for the doctors that they would then feel more obligated to maybe prescribe the drug in some way uh now i believe that the rule is you can take a five dollar sandwich from somebody to like compensate you for the 30 minutes that you have to listen to their drug spiel um and there are such tight restrictions on this now that pretty much well, I, I have not seen a drug rep for years. Really? Um, yeah. Like yeah. they come wheeling in with their with little, little suitcases because they you want to show you all the pamphlets. No, all the hospitals have cut this off. They're not allowed anywhere on hospital property anymore. So how do you learn about what the latest and greatest innovation? Well, so that is kind of what's interesting, that, <laughs> that there probably was some value to this, to like staying up to date and learning the new drugs. And they would have all these comparison charts and then show you what the current treatment strategies are and why they're as, as better. And then you could take that information and then give it to your patient and let them make an informed decision. Um, and the swag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lanyards. <laughs> Pens. <laughs> pencil bag. I got a pencil bag for birth control one time. Did you really? Yeah, huh. I did. <laughs> but this uh, this day and age, yeah, it, it does not happen anymore. And there certainly is no financial kickback whatsoever. It's not like, oh, if I write X amount of Zoloft or X amount of new drug, they're going to send me 5% of the cost of everything I sent. No, that is a fallacy. So then how did oxycodone happen in America? Um, well, because it was marketed so well. It was marketed tremendously well as a non-addictive, non-habit-forming pain medication. <laughs> and that's why they got sued so tremendously, because they were giving all this false information to prescribers. And prescribers were like, oh my gosh, it's a miracle drug, and this is so amazing. And, you know, the drug companies were just... You know, floating into their offices and bringing baskets of, you know, goodies for all the office staff. So they were at that point... Yeah, in the yeah. days of oxycodone yes. stuff, there were still there was yeah. still pharmaceutical reps that yeah. were coming in, dragging their little wheelie bag, right, and bringing lunch for everybody. And still, they can bring lunch to offices. They can bring lunch, but that's solely to get you to come and listen to their spiel. That they can like provide you a lot, but I think it's not allowed to be over five or fifteen dollars per so, person. So, like, is it value. a ham sandwich that lures you in? What's the type of sandwich no, that really? I would really never gets go to you? any of them because I was so bored by these people, and really, you could just tell how hard they were working to like try to get you to like them and like their drug and i get all my information from you know i mean google? all sorts of other yeah webmd no, Web <laughs> yeah that's my go-to as well no, yeah, mayo clinic yeah. national conferences and there's all sorts of other resources that i use every day um so that's that's where i get my information it is still good to to know what's new on the market you know so i like hearing at least of the things that are coming out but i have uh you know mail lists that send me all the new studies that just came out uh, and so i read those studies just directly myself um, but can you really figure out what they say or could you handle 
could you use a drug rep to interpret the study for you? Yes, they would do that, and they would synthesize the information, and I wouldn't trust a word they said. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and I would just, I always would just pick up the pamphlet, and I would just challenge everything they would say, so they kind of got annoyed with me. I'd be like, yeah, but this study was based on an N of 17, and therefore it's not a representative sample, and you also excluded N all these people N of 17 means the population sample that they tested patients. on was 17 people <laughs> out of, like, what, 9 billion on the planet. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think I annoyed the person who did the uh, this gene sight testing, too. The gene sight is this idea. I keep having patients come to me and say, hey, there's a study out now, or there's a test, a genetic test, that will tell me what antidepressant will work for me and what I have in terms of mental health. And that is not true. That is like what drug reps have distilled this thing into or what and media Facebook, has distilled Facebook this into. Tells Facebook tells me it to be true. Oh, my God. And they, it's... It could be no farther. And if anyone wants to learn about what that actually is doing, yeah, write a question. It's like, what actually is this thing? Oh, you're not going to tell us now? You're well, I could. All right, all right, like, fine. is this a so big cliffhanger? <laughs> <laughs> so what it does, it tests your liver enzymes. And liver enzymes are majoritively uh, responsible for breaking down these medications. And then it says, well, this medication is broken down by that liver enzyme. And you only have this amount of liver enzyme. So you are less likely to be metabolizing this properly. But what does that really mean clinically? Does that mean, you know, you're going to have adverse side effects? Or does it mean it just won't work as well? Or does it mean that, you know, it might work too well and you're going to overshoot and become toxic on it? It's very hard to tell for the layperson. But it breaks down medications into green, yellow, and red categories. Red meaning your liver enzymes probably aren't metabolizing it great or, or very well at all. Yellow is, yeah, you might have some interaction because your liver enzymes are kind of mediocre on this. And green is your liver enzymes are fine. And it just puts medications into each one of those categories. It has nothing to do with your diagnosis or, you know. Really it has no real efficacy It's It's hard to say. I think there's a lot of anxiety that's reduced. If people think that they're having a lot of side effects and they don't understand why, you can say, but hey, this is, you know, this is why. You actually, your liver enzymes might be a little bit different than the average bear. And you might have more side effects to this, these medications or this category of medications. And therefore, you know, to help, we could select from the green ones and say, look, you're going to break down and metabolize this medication just fine. So your anxiety should be reduced in the idea that you're going to have side effects this medication. So that, psychosomatic. Sometimes. And whether that really flushes really, which out. Which is a real overall. thing, right? Super so real. Psychosomatic gets a bad rap, but everything starts in the brain. Yeah. So if the brain thinks that, like, this is great for me probably is good for you yep. just simply because the brain thinks it's good for you yeah yeah right so because i know we often like oh it's all in your head yeah <laughs> <laughs> everything is right which is what we're working on exactly yes. yeah exactly good that was a tangent that was I, I hope i didn't bore anybody there wait what was our original question oh kickbacks from pharmaceutical companies oh yeah no it's not a thing it's not a thing they used to but it used to be a yeah, thing it used to be a thing when but it wasn't they, even when kickbacks they, get rid of it um oh gosh i mean it was in probably the 2000s that they that the government really cracked down on that okay um and it probably was swaying some doctors opinions i will say there are probably a lot of doctors out there that were vulnerable to that to maybe prescribe things based on how nice the drug rep was to them or if they bought them a nice bottle of wine for christmas uh and they felt beholden to yeah maybe write some more scripts because these are all tracked the pharmaceutical companies are giant, giant global empires. I will say that. So that's not a delusion. But are they evil? Generally not. Uh, they are very, very wealthy, though. 
I'm not allowed to talk about medication. Oh, yeah. It's outside of my scope of knowledge. So ethically, I need to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, as a therapist, as a licensed clinical social worker, I really have no knowledge of medication. And so it would be out of... I would be out of line to comment on any of it. Mm-hmm. And that's true for anybody that's in therapy with a clinical social worker. If they're telling you, look, you should be trying this drug as opposed to this drug or this or that, or if they have any strongly held opinions about medication, mm-hmm. that's out it of happens line. all the time, just so you know. Really? Oh, Dr. Shand, my therapist said that I should try this medication. And my, I, my heart sinks and my head explodes at the same time. <laughs> oh, that's probably a picture. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, but Your yeah, therapist I really should wanna... not be telling you what yeah. drug to go on because that is out of yeah. the scope of knowledge. If they might say, you know what, you might want to talk to a psychiatrist about maybe starting some medication, you know, like maybe just see if that would be beneficial, that's okay. But if they say you need to go in and ask for 40 milligrams of fluoxetine, yeah. oh, hell no. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> you want to hear something interesting too, just on a similar note? The U.S. is one of the only people to have direct-to-consumer advertising for medications. I know. So do you have, you know, premenstrual dysphoria? Uh, ask your doctor about X. Or you have these chronic headaches? Ask your doctor about X. That is not allowed in other countries. And one of them, Canada, I mean, just above us, says, you know, they are not allowed to mention the reason for treatment and the drug name in the same advertisement. So they can say, hey, ask your doctor about Abriva. Or do you suffer from cold sores? Ask your doctor about treatment options. Those are two separate commercials. They cannot say, do you have cold Ask your doctor about Abriva. That is illegal. And I think really, really potent. We weren't always allowed to advertise pharmaceuticals. Oh, I don't know. You know you know that Ritalin used to be Mommy's Little Helper? <laughs> Literally, that was their slogan on their advertisements. Isn't Mommy's Little Helper. Yeah, right. Isn't right. it still? No, now it's just meth. We've, we've <laughs> wine and xanax yeah um <laughs> good interesting right i thought yeah but just to quell this person's you know concern i will tell you that i know of no doctors that are getting any kickbacks uh and there is no such program that exists anymore uh there used to be some of this that probably was riding an unethical line um and that has been corrected for uh, and really just have an open relationship with your provider. You know, the person prescribing your medications, other ask them this bluntly. are you free to see other providers? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Swinger patients? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust your provider. Yeah, and don't trust what you read on the internet either. And uh, Yeah, well, we'll just go there. Because there's a lot of misinformation out there, and some of this comes from really? that. Really? I, I, that's what I heard. I read that on the internet, too, so that's probably not even true. Man, I'm gonna have to recalibrate everything. Jesse didn't even laugh at that one. I know. All right, next. He laughs at everything. That was it. That's, <laughs> That's it, it for this episode. Oh, well, thanks for listening. I know. Yeah, and this... if you have a question you'd like for us to answer, please go to dearsigmund.com and record your question for us. If you're not feeling brave enough for us to hear your voice, um, feel free to email us and we will answer your question. Awesome. Thanks, thanks. for listening. <laughs>